Welcome to The Wrong Kind of Mad. So often we come to do this part of the editing and I find that we have forgotten to tell you what the podcast was about. But this time we forgot to tell you who we were talking to and what we were doing. So let's do that first part then. This is a podcast where me, Kia Harding and Holly Berrigan, they're not both me, Holly just isn't talking at the moment, we try and talk to people who have something interesting to say within the field of what gets described as personality disorder. Now, neither of us are great fans of that label, but we recognise that it can lead to help, while it can also cause a great deal of trouble and suffering for people. So this podcast tries to do that. Um, if you are kind of interested in this, we would encourage you to like and subscribe to the podcast and maybe write a review. Certainly share it on social media and let other people know what we're talking about. But today we are talking to Sue Sibbles. Um, and she's probably got some kind of prefix because Sue is the only campaigner that we're aware of in the field of personality disorder who has been recognised in the Queen's New Year's Honours list. So Sue was recognised last year uh, for her contribution to work and her general endeavours in this area. So people who are interested in the field of personality disorder would have seen Sue doing some great work up in local services in Sheffield. I think I first came across Sue with her being very active on Twitter, um, certainly helping to start BPD Chat, which is a kind of hashtag that goes on on Twitter on Sunday night that brings lots of people with lived experience of this diagnosis together. Uh, so I saw Sue doing that, and then Sue was co-chair of the... I'm going to get this wrong now, but it was like the commission to look at personality disorder, which fell apart, and from the ashes of it arose the personality disorder consensus statement, which was a document that put together the views of people that live with lived experience, uh, Sue's views, obviously, the views of the other main authors, which was Alex, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Stetziger, something like that, um, and Norman Lamb, the only politician who has ever shown any interest in, in this field at all. Um, so, yeah, she was a co-author of that. Um, it was signed by a lot of worthy bodies, such as the uh, Royal College of Nursing, British Psychological Society, College of GPs, occupational therapists had nothing to do with it. Shame on us. Um, but, yeah, pulling that document together um, and putting down this big marker that said... We don't want to be referred to as having personality disorders anymore. It's it's my, my personality is not disordered. Um, that was a great thing that Sue did. So yeah, we spend our time talking with Sue. Um, generally, kind of like finding out how she got into this area and what's happening next for her. We really enjoyed this talk. Hope that you enjoyed it too.
We're on. We're on. All right then, Sue, thank you so much for coming and spending some time with us today. Um, we often start with something fairly ridiculous, right? And we, we, we ask people if they're mistaken for people with a similar... No, you ask people. I pay no part in this. It's you. Yeah. And yet here it is again. So Sue Sibbles, Sibbles not a very common surname, so we had to really struggle. Um, Sue, are you ever mistaken for Susan Mine Sibbles, the 16th century diarist who lived in Cornwall? No, I am not. <laughs> that, that doesn't come up. My, my, only, my only interesting Sibbles story is, um, because you're right, they're, they're Scottish, actually. They're mainly in Scotland and Glasgow, the Sibbles. Um, but my only interesting story was I was on a flight and uh, it said, you know, they said the stewardess's name, the steward's name, and they went, the sh- and said the stewardess is blah, blah, Sybald. And I went, oh, <laughs> there's a Sybald on the flight. And then the next minute, this uh, stewardess coming down and she went, you're a Sybald, I saw you on the flight list. I've never flown with a Sybald before. Anyway, she bought me champagne. And then uh, at the end, she bought me this bottle of champagne and said, here, take this, <laughs> fellow Sybald. No way. <laughs> so, yeah. That, that was my only civil subject. I'm never mistaken for anything, but another interesting fact, it was, do you remember Call My Bluff? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, um, it said that a Sibbald was a blue whale. So, <laughs> Sue Blue Whale. And, and are you ever mistaken for a blue whale? <laughs> well, not, not yet, but there's time in my life. <laughs> I could be. <laughs> No. Wandering the streets of Sheffield with trawlers following behind you, <laughs> seeking your oil. <laughs> but yeah, but no, never. I'm, I'm often people often think they know me is one thing, so I must mm. look like a lot of people. Okay, you've got one of those familiar faces. Yes, I think that might be it. Mm. Let's not spend too long on what people look like over an audio format. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. So, right, I often think of you as the most high-profile campaigner around the issues of personality disorder, mm. and and certainly the most recognised. So, you, you were on the New Year's Honours list, yeah? I was. Completely. How did that come about? How did that come about? Well, it's <laughs> funny. I, I will laugh a lot because uh, that's the nature of me. But my um, work colleagues, unbeknownst to me, particularly one, a clinical psychologist, put me forward for it. I had not got a clue what was happening. And, um, yeah, so they put me forward for it. Um, so there were certain people in the trust who who did that. Um, and... Um, <laughs> It took three times. It took three years for them to accept me. Um, so after the third try, I think the psychologist was going, if it doesn't happen this time, that's it. Um, but it did. So I got a letter. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just shocked. I had to, I kept rereading it going, what? Um, I just couldn't understand it whatsoever. Okay. Um, that uh, that had happened, um, you know, um, half my life I spent wondering how I got to where I did anyway. Um, and for that, um, you know, and then part of me is going, oh, God, the British Empire, it was an awful thing. <laughs> you know, it took things off a lot of people. And, um, 
you know, so half me was like, shall I do it? Shall I not? And then I thought, no, I want a medal. But, but yeah, it was, um, it was colleagues, work colleagues. So since then, I've actually seen uh, adverts for um, companies that, um, <laughs> if you ever want one, Kia or Holly, that <laughs> you can get, it, it tells you how to apply for these medals for MBEs and CBEs. So okay. companies do it for you. I was just In the paper. Yeah, you pay them like a lump of cash <laughs> and then they put this case forward on your behalf. Yeah. It's so it's a bit of a, uh, but I just found it all quite funny, I and mean, it, it it felt really lovely up to one extent to actually think someone had recognised you. Um, yeah. And when I got the medal, it was lovely because my family were there, and obviously I told my dad, and he cried. He said he couldn't tell my stepmom because he was crying so much. Um, but yeah, so those parts of it were really lovely. So, you, uh, so you went down to the palace to. No, no, um, it's more of a local thing. So it was meant to be Sheffield um, Town Hall. The Queen came to Sheffield? Did she? You know, you're the Queen, you get it off this, uh, the Lord, Chief Lord Lieutenant or whatever he's called. They're the Queen's, uh, Queen's um, people who work for the Queen. So he did come along with his sword and his uh, outfit. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he didn't lay the sword on me, but I, I, I giggled when he came <laughs> just like... This man doing with a sword. It was at Barnsley Town Hall in the end. So we went to Barnsley. Um, and there was just us there because of COVID. Um, there was nobody else being given it. So I, my daughter came and my wife. And um, yeah, we, we did it. And then you get invited to a garden party is what you get to do. But obviously that's not happened. So no cucumber sandwiches for me. Not yet. Not yet, no. But oh. so yeah, so it's it British Empire medals more sort of a local type, you know, people who have done work locally or um over a long period of time or or made changes significantly over a short period of time. So, so yeah. when when I heard that you got it, I always assumed that it was around your work on the consensus statements and yeah. some mm. of the work that you've done nationally, but it, it was all about your local efforts that it was it was but it was all of it actually I think we put the whole lot in consensus statement the work I do um locally um actually BPD chat which um I think it must be about nine years old that now and Carl runs it now but um I ran it for six years <laughs> every Sunday for six years without a day off we never missed a Sunday mm. uh, I did it from Florida I was <laughs> I'll tell you what, just, just before you do that, do you want to tell us what BPD chat is? Yeah, BPD chat was, um, I, I'll tell you what happened. It was, um, I had a friend who was actually in forensic at the time, at the bottom of my, I lived quite central Sheffield and there's an awful place anyway, um, down the bottom of the road that's um, locked. And um, uh, she was in there and I made friends on Twitter with her. And uh, I went to meet her at McDonald's and because um, it was right next to this place. Uh, and we got friends and chatting. And then she got out after two years. And um, we um, just one Sunday morning, I think it was, she said, let's uh, let's do a chat. How should we do it? And then we decided we'd do it on Twitter as a as a chat thing. Um, hashtag chat. And it um, we just advertise it during the day. And we went on. We didn't know what we were doing. There was no plan it was just like let's do a chat and we'll see what happens uh it was just and then it trended 
uh, UK on Twitter that night because I think people were just like, what the hell is this? And from then it sort of grew. Um, Hannah, who it was, um, just dropped out of it. She couldn't cope with it. And I had other people joining in. Um, uh, Carl came along at some point. But it was just a chat on Twitter. And, you know, in the end, we made it with uh, a topic each week and uh, icebreaker. And we had people from, you know, all over coming on it. Um, it was about peer support, really, in the end. It was about peer support and getting people to meet each other because... I mean, when I got my label, I didn't know a thing. I'd never heard of it. Um, my mum had the label of schizophrenia. Um, I'd never heard of that thing. Um, and um, I just thought, I don't know anything. And I went online and met face people on Facebook, but Twitter was where I met most people. So it was about peer support, I think, in the end. Mm. And just that sharing. So as you would with peer support, you know, mutually sharing stuff off each other and um learn along the way i'm gonna guess that we oh go on no go on fine i'm gonna guess that when you started that was a fairly novel thing yeah it was it was really novel there was no i I don't remember any other chats and then there was mental health chat um nurse chat there was no i think there must have been one for us to have done it um but there were no chats. It was really novel. Um, and we had masses of people on. And, you know, at, at some points we used to have three or four of us working on it. You know, people wanted to be on it. They wanted to volunteer and, and do it. Um, and I used to just contact people and say, can you, you know, because people have come on who may be um, feeling suicidal. Um, and, and we had people go off and chat to them individually, just validating. And um, because we couldn't manage the whole thing, it was... You know, you could have 50, 60 people on it. Mm. Um, and they just chat to each other in the end. But you had to make sure you liked everything because people go, no one's talking to me. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> she couldn't talk to everybody, you know. Um, but, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing was- myself in work 10 years ago saying, oh, on the internet tonight, loads of people with a diagnosis of personality disorder are going to get together and chat. And I'm picturing my colleagues kind of go, oh, it's going to be carnage. That's... Yeah. Oh, what are they thinking? It's dangerous. That should be shut down. Yeah, um, but... it, it, was, it was fine, you know, because people looked after each other. Uh, even if we didn't notice people, other people have noticed people. They, the sheer um, empathy and kindness. This is where I started learning more and more. But the sheer empathy, kindness, and um, and, and ability to validate without any person. You know, you have to you have to train clinicians how to validate. <laughs> Yeah. Over time, you used to train. I, I spent a lot of my time training validation to uh, Sheffield uh, staff, but people just naturally validate and um, were, you know, watching each out for each other. So, yeah, um, maybe maybe people would perceive it as potentially dangerous, but it was just a lovely, lovely place, and people would fall out. God, it's real life, though, you know. Um, we see it on Twitter and Facebook and God's but that's life, isn't it? People fall out and have bad times and good times, and yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a really good thing. I, I was proud of that. Um, proud of it. Um, but I, I, I do um, talk about. Um, it was one thing I said I wanted to talk about. If you don't mind moving on to Hannah, who I started with. <laughs> I'll move on. You may not get to speak in this. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, who I um, 
who started the chat with me, sadly um, uh, died um, uh, maybe a year ago. And she was um, in, I told you, she was in, age 18, she was uh, put into a, a locked um, forensic. And um, it, it ruined her from a young girl um, for two years, put on uh, antipsychotics and jabbed and all this other stuff that goes on with it. And um, I know a friend of mine, she might have mentioned then, Catherine, who's from Sheffield as well, was in there as well. And she um, just said she came in as a young girl and went out absolutely, you know, uh, wrecked. And uh, she spent her life then. I, I, me as a friend of hers, I used to go over to Huddersfield to meet her and we'd drink tango and vodka. Um, <laughs> great mix. But, um, but she um, was in and out of everywhere all the time, just self-harm and, um, you know, she was always in rehab or in Piku. And uh, these these stories of people um, are very sad. And then in the end, she got really ill. She found a boyfriend, actually, and and, and she was only once over a year ill. And then she... Uh, in, in anywhere, so she was recovering, and then she got really ill uh, with stomach problems and um, being sick, and then she, um, because I think she'd been in hospital a lot, and they knew her, they just kept sending her away, and she died of a massive heart attack in the end, so um, age 32. Mm. Uh, so a bit of diagnostic overshadowing, but that's um, Hannah who started BPD chat with me, and I just think... Um, that's why I think you have a bit in common with me about places like that, um, which aren't good for people um, at all. Specifically, it's eighteen-year-old uh, young girl, you know, who, who was studying psychology at university at the time. Um, so I, I think me and Holly often bang on about why locking people up, especially in places that don't seem to offer very much in terms of therapy or help. You know, we, we kind of say that's a bad idea, but, but what was your experience of it? What did you see? What means you recoil? From that, from locking people up for a long time. Yeah. I just think uh, from people like Hannah and from my friend Catherine um, and seeing people online um, and um, just... And also, my sister, you know, my sister is um, uh, the other, she was a co-founder of Rightful Lives for Autism. Uh, my nephew's got severe autism. So um, from that point of view as well, it's the same. Um, you know, he was locked up. Um, and, um, you know, he had his arm broken in illegal restraint. And, um, you know, they didn't take him to hospital. And... Uh, so all of that, family history, my mum uh, in, um, you know, my mum in uh, asylums, visiting her uh, for years, um, giving ECT, drugged up to the eyeballs, um, in care for most of her life because of what happened to her. Um, you know, she never, from age 20 odd, uh, really managed to live by herself um, after that. Um, so for me, from being little and seeing what happened and then reflecting on it old as an adult, I just think, nah, um, there's a lot wrong with the mental health system. So I've got a lot of personal in there, I think. Um, 
I've never myself been in anywhere like that. Um, and in fact, I'm, I'm quite um, open about this, but I've never ha- been sectioned. I've had mental health act assessments, but I've refused to go into anywhere because um, it would make me really ill. Um, absolutely, because of my experiences as a child, um, I would, um, you know, set on a care plan. You know, I just have um, home treatment team, but I, I've never been in hospital and, and they used to want me to work on the wards and I go, at, no, I'll stay in the community, thank you. But um, a lot of fear around it for me as well, personally. Um, but I just think um, that's why I dislike them from lots of personal reasons. Um, and I, I think maybe some people might need it, but, it, you know, they don't do good stuff. They lock people in and they wreck them. And, and my friend Catherine's open about it. She says she felt safer in prison. She felt safer in prison than in, uh, in that place down near my house. <laughs> So, so I suppose some people would say, oh, when people feel suicidal or when people are hurting themselves, they need to be stopped. You know, somebody's got to take care of them. It's our duty of care to yeah. stop people from hurting themselves. What? what? What do I think about that? Yeah, how would you respond to that? How do I respond to that? I think um, um, I think of myself, right? Okay, what did I need? I, I, mean, I can only think of me, but when I was suicidal... Um, and you know, I did um end up in A and E quite often. Um, after you know, overdosing and things like that. Um, but um, I wanted somebody to sit with me, and um, and be with me. Um, and you know, that's not an offer. It's it's a phone call with somebody who's just like on their repeat. I don't ring helplines. You know, I still get days when I'm feeling absolutely awful and sometimes I think oh I could just talk with someone and I think actually what's the point I really truly do I think what the hell is the point um because you don't know who you're gonna get and you might get someone who might make you worse yeah and I think we learn that pretty quickly you know when you come into services and they tell you it's part of your care plan or you should contact the crisis team but I think most of us very quickly learn that actually that's that's often more harmful than yeah. what I'm experiencing at the moment. Yeah, and I think crisis houses just in answer to your care as well. I think crisis houses are a good thing. I think there should be mm. more more crisis houses. More, you know, the Leeds one has been going for I don't know how many years. Service user led one, um, and there are other examples. Um, and maybe there are some I'm not saying it's carte blanche either one but there maybe are some people who need to be in for longer it's it's just that inflexibility and it should be better when you're in there because it's not um and I can only go from what other people tell me because I've not been in um but I just read you know I'm a, I'm a bit of a twitter um stalker of <laughs> but I read things when people are in there or you know there's people who are really vocal on there about what it's like in there and you just think oh my god you know what's going on um or my friend Hannah she'd just say they're doing nothing nothing happens mm-hmm. um, there's no um there's no help it's just alarm bells and people being restrained and people just sat around doing nothing or you know the tv remotes disappeared or yeah um all of that um they're just not places that are um i think uh therapeutic uh for people um that's what people say um 
you know, I can I can only speak from personal experience of, of community teams because that's where I was under for a, a few years, um, or primary care as I am now, because um, uh, that's just an interesting uh, diversion into where uh, them putting loads of money into primary care at the minute for, for for serious mental illness, and they've actually included personality disorder in that. Uh, but yeah. Sheffield's a pilot for that, so they're actually just um they've employed OTs here in, right. this, in this little uh thing, psychology and OTs, but they're, they're putting it back into primary care. Um, which makes me think that's quite positive actually, because it's nearer people's homes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sue, you're a nightmare to interview and you jump around all over the place. That's <laughs> my head. Do you know what I realise that when when I talk to people, they just get and, and actually I'll forget what I'm saying at some point because my head is all over. That's <laughs> <laughs> me. <laughs> Where I I tell you what I was thinking about when you were talking is that idea of um, you saying, I knew that I didn't want to go into the hospital. I knew yeah. it would have been bad for me. And I was yeah. just thinking that you know, you you're probably right, you know. Um, and I think you'd have reacted in there in a way. That, that showed how much you hated it and people would really have pathologized that and that would have been the reason to keep you there like look how badly she's reacting to all of this stuff there's something wrong with her we need to keep yeah. her here until all of this stuff goes away and i think I'm, I'm often frustrated at how we forget how people manage to do enough to look after themselves before we lock them up yeah i know and people can and people can with the right support i think mm. It's just not about, um, you know, I have had some good support. I have. Um, and often I found out later because they were colleagues that they have mental health problems themselves and they were the best people that looked after me because they could be more empathetic. Uh, and I'm not saying that's all of them because I never do. Uh, also, I'd be pathologised and told I was thinking in extremes. But, um, uh, uh, but, but yeah, I've, I found there is good stuff out there, but... Some of it's uh, just bad. Mm-hmm. When we started this, what I wanted to start talking with you on, is, um, well, just kind of saying like you're, you're the most recognised campaigner in this area. And, you know, so you're starting off with BPD chat, but then finding a way through the consensus statement to get your views heard nationally. And I just wondered if you could tell us a bit more about the consensus statement, what it was for, how you got involved in it, um, what what comes next. Yeah. Um, well, I I got a I don't I got a big following on Twitter. I used to do lots of campaigns about things, and I get really angry. I was the angry woman, so I started building a followership up because of the BPD chat, but also like there was a. Uh, something in an easy read of a man with uh, on the mental health act easy read because I read it on that because I couldn't bother reading the whole thing so I read the easy read which was brilliant and it was a man uh, looking really but like he was going to smack someone who was identified as a person with personality disorder so I did a big campaign I got more and more followers um, I used to talk um, and then I used to do a lot of public speaking at NHS Confed, NHS England, NHS Digital it was then because of the BPD chat thing. So I just got known. And then um, with the consensus statement, um, 
strangely it's where you are um I believe in luck and um just because I don't know where, where the hell I've got to but my psychologist colleague who I first started working with at the trust said um oh they're doing this um commission and they want people to do um to go on the commission so I said all right I'll do that and um, went down to um probably was London um there was Norman there a few other people um Norman. Mr. Norman, Sir Norman, Lamb MP. Um, so, so these people were there, and I'm like, oh, uh, I think Peter Fonagy turned up at one point as well. And I went, you're Peter Fonagy. <laughs> uh, so, um, the, yeah, so, the, so they were just um, uh, this commission there, and then um, a p- group of people, and I was late on to it. And then they said they wanted a co chair. And then someone approached me and said, you know, because all the people with lived experience on it, would you be the co-chair? Will you apply? And I went, all right, then. I don't think about what I do. Or, or, or you can tell from where the way I'm talking to you, my mind's all over. I don't sort of plan anything. And then when you be co-chair, I went, all right, um, without really considering its implications. And I um, applied to be the co-chair. Um, I had experience co-chairing um, licensed watch in Sheffield because of my years in nightclubs and training bouncers um so I wrote this thing and they and I don't think anyone else applied <laughs> because they all probably thought oh that's going to be flipping tricky um <laughs> to say the least um and so I, I was suddenly co-chair with Sir Norman Lamb MP and I'm like uh I don't know how I got here but hey ho um from just being invited along to a thing to being co-chair um and, and so when it started, it was the commission for personal. So what what yeah. was what was the intention when it came together? Um, it was the intention was to um, get best, a get a better deal. I think the intention was to get a better deal for people, which has always been my main thing. I think the labels a side thing. You know, it's my FFS is actually fighting for services and FFS but it's always been about getting better services for people and I think that was it was all about the stigma it was about the label turned out but it was about getting a better deal for people because people as we know have been sidelined for so long um, and not got the help that they needed Um, so the commission started and then um, uh well, I wrote about it in the chapter in the book, but the um, BPS was meant to be giving 40K and then the money never came. And then Emergence, um, did you do work for them, Holly? Yeah, I used to work. Yeah, yeah. and then um, Emergence um, were banking on that money and they, and they went into liquidation. Um, so the BPS for me, it made, it made me quite angry actually. So the commission never happened. Um and everyone was very politically polite about it. But I won't say what people might have been saying behind closed doors. But um, And then Alex Sturzacker, who was the main person behind all of this, um, she, um, we came to the conclusion we'd do the consensus statement as a, a thing we could do because the commission would have had more clout. Um, but we did the consensus statement instead, um, which was a lot of toing and froing and... Um, a lot of uh, obviously around the label it, it just you know I, I sometimes wish that would just go let's just think of a name I often said let's call it carrots 
and then um, people can stigmatise the carrots um, for being suicidal and self-harming. Um, but yeah. Um, It'd be confusing in a grocery store though, so. <laughs> yeah, it would. Do you want five pound or 10 pound? Um, but no, it's, um, yeah, it, it was a, it was about trying to change things. And, and I sort of hear sort of rumblings. I, I think there's going to be maybe a bit of a re um, issue of it, um, potentially. Um, so we'll see. Um, because obviously there was the position statement for the Royal College of Psychiatry as well, um, which said most of the same things. It's just that they wanted to keep the label, you know, um, whereas this said just change the label, change the name, um, which I would agree with. Um, so if, label. if it was to be updated, to, to say what, to include what, what? No idea. I just hear rumblings. I hear rumblings in the background of uh, what what might um, something might be being doing. I think it was. Um, uh, I can't remember. Who it was just talking about it, but I don't know. That's... Saying what? Saying why? <laughs> Move on and do more. But you know, things have changed slightly. Um, there is the um, money coming in from NHS England mm. to spend more on. Um, personality disorder um and then there's the um uh the primary care thing i was talking about which does include it um to look after people in primary care um, so people are getting more of a service but um you know i think people are still being excluded and um you know i think we all saw recently about the year when I the last I think I haven't exploded on Twitter for a while but I did when I saw him I'm usually quite just like oh here we go again it's just it's it's like a rolling thing for me Twitter it's when you start it 10 years not a lot of changes it just people saying the same stuff uh again in a different way maybe that um when I saw about the um SMI thing it, it's always bugged me that um and it doesn't include personalities or it really gets my goat and it was around the vaccine and then uh, all well and good because I think Big Spud and, and others um, help with that but mm. yeah anyway what were we talking about who knows <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what were we talking about um, it's, it's always a good question <laughs> <laughs> coming back to the consensus statement and the potential to update i mean do you, do you see it as having had an impact um because like like you said i i do see it as kind of inspiring the um rcp statement and you know do, do you think the stuff has come from that well, statement coming out i don't think you mind me saying but um have you heard of viral i can't remember his second name yeah from from uh nhc we interviewed viral did you? Yeah. Well, he, he himself said that it had influenced the work they were doing in community teams. The consensus statement had really influenced. He said it, um, we were on a call um, uh, around, uh, I think there's a, in May, there's a, um, in the, the personality disorder awareness week or whatever um, they call it, but um, uh, there's a, group of us got together um and um i can't remember her name i'm terrible she spoke to you the other week holly marsha marsha's got together a group of people um including uh sir norman and you know he was um just to, to raise awareness but he was saying you know viral was saying on that call that he thought 
um, yeah, it had influenced the work that they were doing. Um, and it's yeah. definitely something that we make kind of reference to when we're when we're training, particularly. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> the feedback that people will give is, well, PDs are this, PDs are that. Yeah. Well, actually, um, if, you, if you'd read this, you'll find that that is not acceptable and people yeah. don't want to be referred to in this way. Um, so I think it's been a really helpful thing to have, to make reference to in those kind of contexts. Hmm. And then I think it's definitely informed the way people are understanding and viewing the diagnosis. Yeah, I think it does. I think, you know, I've used it quite a bit in work that I've done. Um, and, um, you know, um, I think people people do use it. I think they do. Um, it's been referenced a couple of times. Uh, yeah. But... but um, I think it's made people think more, even if it's just thinking more about trauma, you know, um, and and, and um, the effects that might have. Um, not, and I always caveat that with, and not everyone needs to have trauma to um, maybe attract that label. Um, it can be a, lot, a host of other things, but, you know, I think people think more of it in those terms because people are talking about that a lot more now. It's like... Um, planting seeds I think and if you slowly but surely plant seeds um it's like I think if you say it enough like the emperor's new clothes if you say it enough people start to catch on and um start talking about it more people weren't talking about trauma 10 years ago on um on twitter mm. in particular very few were um but more people are talking about that now um and then um, people were just talking about the label. Um, I remember having some right old ding-dong battles with people because I used to love my label. <laughs> I think when you first get diagnosed, I think you just like, oh, I have beeped it. In fact, my wife said, thank God that's uh, explained some things to me. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, uh, I think I've grown, to I think it's true about growing beyond it. It just doesn't mean yeah. much to me anymore. Um, I just get on with my life. Um is what I do. The, the uh, thing I really associate with you is mm. you talking about the consensus statement and saying, my name is Sue Sibbles and my personality is not disordered. Yeah. And, and the fact that that was on the BBC, do you know, mm. I, I think that says something about the level that you took this debate up to. That, yeah, yeah people talked about it for a long, long time, but actually solidifying it into some document that went out there that could say people don't want to be talked about like this anymore and and in fact if we're just thinking about disordered people we're just keeping all the problems in them we're not thinking about what it is we're doing that's making things worse and um, I, I think that has taken the debates yeah. to a wider place no I just I just hate the label and I forever pulling people up I hate I absolutely I keep writing it on Twitter I hate the term PD I absolutely, when people go PD, I go, it, it, right, you know, I used to at work, I'd be constantly saying, can you stop saying PD? And the next minute they're going PD, and I'm like, can you stop it? Um, it's an insult. Um, I really just, I, I think it's shorthand. It's, uh, oh, I, I just, uh, it's interesting to me actually that we use PD in the UK and then still in America they use BPD. They wouldn't even think of the term PD. It's an, it, that's a little aside anyway <laughs> it just always these little things really interested me but I just think um you're right my personality is not disordered I'm I'm someone who's just you know shit's happened basically um which is what's happened to a lot of people um 
and um, that's the way it is. But now, you know, I've had my therapy. <laughs> I've uh, I've come through a lot and um, taught myself a hell of a lot due to lack of services. Taught myself DBT. Yeah, yeah. That was um, uh, interestingly. I, I found the first thing I found was a Facebook group where people were teaching each other DBT. It was a peer group run by someone called Amanda Smith, um, who I went to meet in Texas, actually. And I met Carl Dunn as well. I've met Carl from VFD Charles. I've met them all. Uh, went to do some family training over there, um, the NEA BPD family connections training. But, yeah. So, anyway, I forgot what I'm talking about again. <laughs> My mind is all over. yourself, DBT. <laughs> And what yeah, that oh, there. that's where I was at. So I was teaching myself DVT, and then um, I, um, yeah, I I read the books. I was on the thing. I'd do diary cards. Um, I had the app diary card, um, and then what I did was this is the funniest thing. Um, now, in retrospect, I wrote a twenty-six week DVT. Um, I wrote the twenty-six thing and powerpointed it all. <laughs> And then with some psychologist colleagues and delivered it. <laughs> so I learned a lot about it. But um, yeah, I, I did that. Uh, I mean, you're describing a level of research and thoroughness that I think people delivering DBT in the NHS might not have. At the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I read I read all the manuals and and like I did, I just I had to read it. Um, and then I just practiced it and I, I did a mindfulness course and, you know, people slag mindfulness off and they can, but I, um, it really helps me. Uh, I am uh, someone who practices mindfulness in all its um, different ways. Um, uh, it was what changed things for me, mindfulness. It was the first thing I got ever offered. Um, it helps me when my brain goes like it does. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> When it does all its forgetting. Uh, yeah. I often kind of hear people talk about DBT as quite um, authoritative and, you know, directive. And I just wonder what, that, that must be a different experience if you're researching it all yourself and teaching yourself. Yeah. I think it is. I think um, because you have to want to do it. You know, I, um, I knew I had to change because I wasn't happy. I think that's where you get to a point, you go, right, right. Um, this is the point where I want to change. I, I'd read about stuff and thought DBT is most randomized controlled trials. I'm gonna try this stuff. I asked for it and my trusted didn't do it. So I thought, right, sod you, I'll just teach myself it. And, and it is different if you teach yourself it. Um, but a lot of people like DBT, you know, not everybody does, but a lot do, and it's helped. I know a lot of people who it's helped, um, but a lot of people um, don't, and that's okay too. It's like people have these polarized debates, and it's just like what the consensus statement actually says is says there should be a variety of things for people. Yeah. Um, you know, what really helped me was I was really lucky, and I got um, transference focused psychotherapy for three years, twice a week. That's a bit life changing. Um, but, you know, I taught myself the DBT. I don't think if I had that DBT, I would have been able to do that hard stuff because it gave me a grounding um, of ways to cope with the absolute... Um, God, I spent about six months depressed for the first six months of that. Um, but, you know, I think DBT has its place. I think oh, everything has its place. I'm very... I think as I've got older, I just, I'm very like, 
well, what you say is right, what they say is right, you know. There's, there's, I think it's a, is it Linehan's thing. There's a, there's, you know, it, there's a, there's a golden nugget that's sort of in everything. You know what people say. You know, um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I like DBT a lot. I think it can yeah. be really helpful for people. Um, yeah. And I think any therapy that people are forced through. I think the the times I found it most difficult is when the choice of therapy is DBT or nothing. Yeah. So yeah. people kind of say, well, I, I don't want nothing, and they go through you know, something that's like totally aimed at eradicating self-harm. And you know, if, if they're not on that page yet, it just feels a very brutal thing to do to people. Yeah, um, because I think there should be choice. Um, you know, our trust, it does do CBT, DBT, CAT, um, the psychoeducation. There's different bits and there's structured clinical management. I, just, I went on the training for structured clinical management, actually. It was really interesting because it's quite MBT-based. Yeah. And I did that training, the trust paid for me, and then um, I left. <laughs> um, but I was going to be involved in delivering some of that. Um, and that's interesting because that's just um, helping people um, where they're at. You know, they're not, they might not be ready for anything else, but it's just treatment as usual, really, with an MBT focus. But I quite like that. Um, but different horses for different courses, as you say. Mm. Can you? I'd- Shh. Um, can you tell us a bit about the work that you did with your local trust and kind of how that came about? Yeah, well, um, always this is my story in my life. Here we go again. I um, because I there weren't. Uh, I got the I got the label. Um, I was forty six. Um, I've managed my life till then, and I got ill. I was training door supervisors, and was dissociating all over the show. But I um. What I did was I wrote a letter to the trust quoting um, Tim Kendall, who, who is now NHS medical director, but he was medical director of the trust. So I wrote a letter to him quoting nice guidelines because he'd written them for personality disorder and quoting him saying from this press piece that it should be DBT should be all over the show. <laughs> I was pointing out to him the fact that his trust was not doing DBT. <laughs> anyway, I got, a le- I got one of those letters back going and sort off. Um, and um, what I did was I spoke to him um, and I got a bit upset and um, he said, right, come along um, uh, and um, you can join this strategy team. <laughs> so he didn't pull me in at the bottom. He pulled me in at the top and said, join this strategy team we've got. Um, and um, so I did. Um, and uh Whilst we were there, I said, right, we want to do some psychoeducation uh, for people. Let's start with that. Um, and I sat with a psychologist colleague and we brought together this package. Um, so I did psychoeducation work, uh, four-week group, and we did a rather 10-week group. Um, and then I um, did, uh, I went to Texas and did the uh, family group. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was doing a lot of work on strategy um, uh, for the trust, and then I started doing suicide awareness training. Um, I just I did work with older adults, um, so I just did work all over the place. I can't even remember what I did. I did. I was I was getting I was doing stuff around the peer workers, employing more peer workers, doing work on co-production. Um, 
So as I, I'm someone who likes to move on to the next thing, so I just um, do something and then think, right, what's next? Um, and then I went part-time and just started uh, working privately a bit, um, doing bits and bats all over the show. So I, I, was, I was basically doing um, groups, peer working, um, and, and co-producing and co-writing, oh, and staff training, a lot of staff training. Um, so, like, so like getting involved in a strategy group and being flown over to Texas to do training? I, pay, I paid myself to go to oh, okay. I, I wanted to do it. People would call me crazy. <laughs> <coughs> but, um, so I paid myself for all of that. But go on. Well, you've ruined my joke because I was going to say, God, it's, it's like a typical experience of somebody who writes a complaint letter to the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just get rid of, fly her to Texas now she doesn't come back. <laughs> but um, I, I don't think so. No, I, I have to say that, um, you see, this is where life is, is, is serendipity, is my daughter happened to make friends with Tim Kendall's daughter out of no... They were at the same school. My daughter wanted to move because she'd had things with her friends and she moved into this class and made friends with Tim Kendall's daughter. So Tim Kendall, <laughs> down our path, you remember me saying, you do, he's like, and that's how I met him. Oh. Right. Um, so that's how I met him. So when I did write to him, he did know of me, but I don't think he was expecting my letter, which was quite <laughs> harsh, <laughs> should we say the least. And he didn't know who I was, actually, because my name, surname's not the same as my daughter's name. Yeah. He won't have known who the letter was from. Yeah. Now I'm thinking of the entire um, consent statement is just built on nepotism and, <laughs> and nefarious <laughs> connections. Well, you know, the, the consent statement was a weird thing because it was my psychologist colleague who just asked me if I wanted to, to, to join this thing. That's how it happened. Um, there were other people who were called on to it, but it wasn't done in any, um, you know, there was no, you, you would think more these days that people would be asked to apply to do it. But um, I was just asked by a psychologist colleague, you know, um, to do that. Um, that's how it happened. My life has just been like that. Yeah. Um, just, um, just things happen. And I think you you could take that argument, couldn't you, that just, oh, right place in the right time a lot of times. And then I also think about, you know, something quite pioneering in terms of um, using social media to link people and connect to them yeah. um, and really being able to kind of communicate in a way that people respond to. Um, yeah. And I, know, I, I remember kind of like joining Twitter and you're like, yours was one of the people that I've, oh, I hope she follows me one day. One day she will. And, oh, got all excited when it happens. Uh, I, I remember joining Twitter and I was like that. I had about 50 followers and I used to follow these people. And if they talked to me, I was like, oh, my goodness me. Uh, you know, I'm intrude on Twitter. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, when she spoke to me for the first time, I was like, oh, my God, she spoke to me. Um, so it's a bit like that. And I just used to, um, it's always interested me, Twitter, because I think it's a great place, actually, for people to connect with people who are clinicians now and people to connect with each other. Because there's a huge, you know, there is a bit of a, I follow people who, um Probably about five or six thousand of people who follow me, I've got would have that label. The rest are probably clinicians. 
But there's a huge amount of people, and I, and I always bring this up, who, who do like their label. Mm. Um, there is a mass of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Padan, there's seven and a half, three quarters of a million people on Padan on mm. Facebook. Um, and I, I know a lot are American, but um, and then there's a very vocal uh, group of people who don't like the label. You know, it's um, but I love the place of Twitter. I think it's great um, for people um, to speak to people in, in high positions. You know, you can do that now and you can meet. I've met so many people uh, via, you know, Twitter. It's like, it's like a network. Um, so it, well, it is a social network, isn't it? So, <laughs> It is like a social network, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is one, but I've, I've met so many lovely people, um, you know. Um, I've met both of you. Um, Very true. And I met, um, you know, I've got some really good friends. Um, I'll mention her because she might listen to it, but Carrie's one of my um, very old friends from Twitter. Um, and uh, I've, I've known her and met her quite a few times. Um, but, yeah, I do... Um, it's been a, it's been a great place for me, um, I think. Uh, although it irritates me sometimes to death. Some days I just look and just go, oh, God. yeah. <laughs> it does feel like the worst of people is on Twitter, but also I'm always amazed by if you ask something, generally people will fall over themselves trying to help you. Yeah, we can forget that sometimes when somebody that we've never met before is telling us we're the devil for saying the sun rises in the east. It's yeah. <laughs> it can be a lovely place. We can. Well, I, I tend not to get into. I look at things and I type stuff, and then I go, I can't be bothered. <laughs> I've done yeah. this. Oh, <laughs> I can't be bothered. Only, the, the only thing I got I, I've recently, probably in the past year, got angry about was the thing I mentioned before. Um, uh, probably because it was as um, pathologised that probably because it was excluding people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I suppose you know at least there could be a value to having that diagnosis if if it leads to benefit, isn't it? And yeah. it's just the fact that having that diagnosis means you cut off from what other people who are classed as having yeah. really severe problems. Um, yeah. yeah, it's yeah, rubbish. Yeah. Yeah, well, my main thing has always been to advocate for people. That's what I've done over the years, is advocate for people with that label. Um, I'll, I'll admit to start off with, it was about me. I wanted I wanted DVT, but after, you know, a long time, I've just advocated and spoken up. Mm. And I've been, I've been bashed about on Twitter as well. You know, I, consensus statement was a really difficult time because there was so much feeling around it. Mm. And, and so there should be, but it, it was a difficult time. Um, uh, because you do get bashed um, because it, you know it's interesting how much feeling around the, the label there is I often wonder why, why aren't people talking about other labels so much what, what the hell is it um, I've got all sorts of different things about it you know it's because people don't like to work with people uh, they find it difficult because they don't know how to help People themselves don't like the label because they're treated like shit, you know. Yeah. There's all of that, and and that's what we have to change. Um, and that's how the consensus statement could could help. Position statement, you know, um, and all the work other people do, you know, just hammering away. Um, I think there's quite a lot of us now. There's a big spud, you know. I think that's going to grow. I'm I'm looking to that to um to be a growing thing um, to speak for. For people and um, 
you know, with people, alongside people. That's what I like about it. There's quite a lot of people with lived experience there. Um, and I keep meaning to join and then I go, oh, I've got to do. And then I, I, people don't know this about me, but I am really, um, I, I, I think people might like to know this about me, but I am I'm quite um, socially anxious. So um, I, I can stand up on stages, but I actually shake like crazy. If people saw my hands when I'm speaking for the first minute, then my hands are shaking. And I find it really where at conferences, I am so tired. I can't, um, you know, I, I find I'm quite hypervigilant. So I find them really hard. So I, I will say I avoid places like that. Um, I will go and speak at them if I think, you know, I want to um, try and change something. But I am... Um, I don't, you know, I'm I'm quite happy with my little family and just um being being by myself and you know I think a lot of people are, but you can that's the power of Twitter as well because you can sit in your front room. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I, but but also kind of connect with people that you've never seen before, so that when you do go to conferences, yeah, there's people you connect with. I've sat next to you at a conference. I, I remember yeah. um, being with you in Cardiff. That was Leeds. Uh, yeah. Leeds. Yeah. Well, I know when, um, no, I, I was mentioned to you, kid, didn't I? I appreciate it. I was sat by myself, you see, and you called me over and I, I mentioned that to you once because um, I was just sitting there going, I don't know anybody. <laughs> well, I'm, I am quite high handed. I like to summon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was uh, just sat on my lonesome. But, but yeah, I um, Yeah, I think it's a, I, I think about me is I've never I, I don't understand um, and 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 there's uh, I don't understand how I've got to where I am from working in nightclubs for 20 years to um doing a consensus statement <laughs> and I I truly don't um it's a strange it's a strange old world um but I suppose my um sister will as, as a testament as well because she advocates so much for people with autism I think it must be in the genes because <laughs> she goes and talks in parliament and she's met Sir Norman and he's gone oh god there's two of you <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she's she's for autism and uh, learning disabilities uh, yeah. so you set up BPD chat which is still going you've yeah. done a lot for Sheffield you co- authored the consensus statements been recognized by royalty you've been on the news on the topic of personality disorder without somebody being murdered which has got to be a first yeah. um what's what's next what are you doing with yourself now what's what am i doing um i am doing a bit of local work around co-production with um sod it i shall mention them they're a, a women's service user-led um uh, charity um, survivor of depression in transit they are um, so I'm doing a, bit, a few workshops for them on co-production doing some work with NHS England um, around the tier 4 personality disorder um, doing some work with NHS Confederation around digital creating a digital um, uh, sort of booklet thing for mental health because um, I used to do a lot of work with NHS um, NHS Digital, it's, I think it's NHS X or something now. Um, uh, so I've always had an interest in that. Um, 
Uh, well, so, oh, I do work for the National Confidential Inquiry. I have for a long time into suicide and safety. So I'm on the project board for that with um, NAV and Professor Appleby and Dr. Kate Lovett. So we're, I do that as, I do quite a few things for free. Um, <laughs> I do I do quite voluntary bits and that's part of it because obviously I've got a, a, a great interest in, in suicide um, just because of the label and um, so many people die by suicide. So, so I'm on the project board for that, but I, I'm doing a bit of work for them. I think we're doing a video um, soon. Um, and I was part of the uh, piece that they did on personality disorder. They did a, a one year, they did a, uh, you know, they do a thing each year, the um, NKISH with alongside the, all the figures about suicide. They do, they look at something um, and they looked at personality disorder one year. So I was part of creating that um, as well. So, I do lots of bits. I can't even remember what I do from day to day. I was doing a bit of, I talked to Marsha yesterday about the May thing, um, but yeah. So, so not stopping anytime soon still? I'm not stopping. I, well, I, I might do. I'm thinking of getting a camper van. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, and I just do lots of gardening and walking and things like that. Um but I, I don't think I'll be able to give up in the next few years, but I could. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as involved as I used to be. I see other people much more to the forefront than me these days. Um, definitely people doing more work than me. Um, a bit of me says it, I've done my bit. I've had my time. Um, um, there are more people with more um, energy and um better ideas and you know it's a bit of the reason I left the trust as well the NHS is because I thought somebody else's turn come on uh, get on with it yeah. have you got anything else to ask Carly or have you got anything else that you want to tell us Sue I'll edit this bit out <laughs> <laughs> um no I don't think so it's been really lovely to talk to you yeah, I, I, I don't feel, um, when I was looking at who you were interviewing, I was like, oh my God, no, Anthony Bateman, Sir Norman Lamb, and I, I still go, Sue Siddles, what has she got to say? A lot! <laughs> no, yeah. She couldn't shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because this is is quite good, we're not going to edit this out now, we're going to keep it. <laughs> I, you you were on our list as soon as we were talking about who. Yeah, we, you were yeah, one of our, our yeah. first ones that we we wrote down. Yeah. Um, I find I do find it hard. Um, I, I keep saying it, but I really do find it. Um, I thought, well, I don't know why I feel a bit tearful, but saying it, I don't. I really don't understand how I um how I did what I did. But I I, I am someone who works really hard. Mm. Yeah, from glass collecting to part owning and running a nightclub for one. And then, um, you know, that's, you can't get any further than running. It's a live music. It's called a Ledmill, actually. It's about 900 capacity. It was 3.6 million pound turnover business. So, you know, with when people get me, I always go, you get a lot more than just, uh, you know, you get someone who knows about finance and marketing. And yeah. Uh, But yeah, I still, I still don't get, um, I don't get it. How, how in 10 years from some psychiatrist in 40 minutes saying you've got BPD <laughs> to, to, to that, you know. 
so you might not know how you did what you did but yeah. certainly I don't think everybody would have done what you have done and I really appreciate it it's yeah. definitely inspired me um, so me and Holly are off to troll the internet to find out how we can get ourselves a knighthood <laughs> see the I, I i saw it afterwards and i went what the hell does this is a thing so it's it's if you what you need to do is apply for each other i think you go to this company and then they tell you how to do it and then you could apply for each other. Okay. <laughs> if we ever get anything now people are going to be suspicious <laughs> they bought it they bought it <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I just went, what, well, this is the, the world, the government as it is. Now you don't know what the hell to believe, do you? It's just, um, it's just uh, what, what do you believe in life? But yeah. Just so that we can stop, we're going to say goodbye to you. Okay. okay. Doesn't mean you have to go. All right. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate it. Thank you so Sue. Yeah, thank you. It's been brilliant, even though I couldn't shut up, but hey <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot. Right, and then we stopped recording. So, Sue Sipples is not the um, nasty, annoying, fire-spitting person that we've been anticipating coming on, is it? It's another person <laughs> in the run of lovely people. I mean, we, we have met Sue before, and we know that that is very not much <laughs> who she is, so... Yeah, but this... Oh, it's becoming tedious to kind of come to the end of the years and go, God, they were lovely. Um, yeah, who's going to be an arsehole? That's, that's what we're, we're wondering. We are interviewing you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. We've broken our run. <laughs> oh, wow. Sue has been in the right place at the right time a lot, hasn't she? I'm convinced there's something about her as well, but... Wow. Yeah. So it does sound like she has been in in the right place at the right time. And I think for, for many of us that kind of end up in LXP work, that is often the case. Mm. But I think Sue is a really personable person that draws people to her. And I think that's her biggest asset, not just being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I think for, you know, we talked about Twitter a bit, um, but it's hard to be on Twitter without seeing people fall out and erupt at times. And I've never seen that with Sue. You know, she's that personable um characteristic that came across in that talk there that that's just part of her persona isn't it she's just bloody lovely just lovely they're all lovely but yeah you know i I can imagine that most people um sending in a complaint letter they tend to get pathologized don't they and you know yeah (laughs) yeah definitely Mm. And it's very, it's interesting that that didn't happen and they they chose to do something different with that. And I think if more trusts would be willing to hear people's feedback mm. um, and, you know, not throw away the friends and family tests with the negative feedback and things like that, then it could be very different. 
And there's, there's something, isn't there, about um, just listening to people and valuing their opinion as opposed to pathologising and cutting off that seems to have led to a better experience for everybody there. Mm. And yeah. you can be quite wedded to, oh, well, they're just mad. We can ignore all of that. Mm. And the fact that they're upset is um, that's, that's even more evidence that they're mad. Yeah. <laughs> this is a long gap. This is a long gap. <clears throat> um, what, what else? What else about Sue? Oh, you know what we didn't ask her? We didn't ask her about the book chapter. No. She was not somebody who wanted to be reined in by the structure that <laughs> <laughs> we had in mind. Everything that she spoke about was very relevant, though. Definitely. I think, <clears throat> having read her chapter the other day, I think the pertinent parts of what she wrote down came across in our interview. That's how we'll forgive ourselves. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there was lots of other stuff to talk about. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, what a kind of totemic figure in, you know, like I said, the, the person who has been at the forefront, been the most recognised. And, I don't know, just that that, that doesn't happen a lot. Um, and, you know, it could be great that she knew some of the right people, but, you know, also having that drive to try and make a difference. Not everybody goes and buys a DBT book and teaches themselves, you know, but there's a definite... Not everybody pays to go to Texas to, to train in something mm. either. Yeah. And obviously that's not accessible to everyone necessarily, but... There's definitely an element of dedication there, isn't there? Mm. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Mm. Yes, me too. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is becoming quite rambling now. Perhaps we should, uh, do the usual gubbins and then we'll leave it. <laughs> so... <laughs> So if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast today, we would like you to like and subscribe to it. If you haven't enjoyed it, subscribe to it anyway. It might get better. Uh, if you want to let us know anything that you have thought about this or other podcasts, you can email us at thewrongkindofmad at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at wrong kind of mads and you can check us out on facebook where we will never reply and never post anything (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for listening take care bye bye